Amen. All right. Appreciate that. What a good song, that last one. Um, that all nation, tongue, and tribe may crown him uh, Lord of all. The only way that they're going to do that is if we reach the world with the gospel. And we can't do that right here uh, as far as we're not, we're not able to reach China uh, unless we support missionaries, unless we support and pray for those who are willing to go uh, to the mission field. And so, uh, what a good song and what a thought of, of missions. This evening, have, if you have your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter number 2. And I started last week, we're not going through the entire book of Philippians, but we are going to uh, find joy throughout the book of Philippians. And uh, I want to remind us that Philippians was written while Paul was in jail. And uh, again, we find it odd, we find it uh, different that a man sitting in a, in a dingy jail cell would encourage us. And yet, that's what we have in the book of Philippians. Some 19 times that the word joy or rejoice or gladness is used throughout the book of Philippians. What a tremendous book uh, to encourage us. So in Philippians chapter number 2, as we think about this, as Paul would encourage us this evening, um, Philippians chapter number 2, and verse number 1, we'll start right there. We'll read just the first three verses as we think about the joy that, uh, that Paul was writing about. He says in Philippians chapter number 2 and verse 1, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity and the privilege, Father, that we have to be in your house and, uh, and, and looking into your word. God, what a, what a privilege, what a blessing that we have. God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. I pray, Father, that each and every heart and each and every person that's here this evening, Father, that they'd be encouraged. And those who are listening through electronic means, God, that you would, uh, again, encourage and bless their hearts as well, Father. And we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this passage uh, and we think about the, the joy and we think about finding joy, uh, I want us to notice here in this first passage that uh, this first few verses that we looked at, he says there in verse number one, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, he says, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded and having the same love of one accord and one mind. As we think about this verse, Paul is saying to the Philippian Christians, he's saying, listen, it brings me great joy when you work together. And as I read that and think about that, I, I think, you know, not only did it bring Paul great joy, but I believe it also brings God great joy to see Christians in good fellowship and good unity working together. And he gives us here a few things that is interesting as we look at it. I think the first thing that we could see in these verses, obviously, is that unity brings joy. It brings joy to God and it brought joy to Paul. And ultimately, in reality, it will bring joy to you as well. Uh, there's a great joy in, in, in being part of something and, and laboring together. 
the other night I went and saw my uh, daughter. She's playing basketball, and, and uh, they won their first game of the season. They've played several, and they uh, were struggling in the beginning. We'll put it that way. And, uh, and you know what? There's great joy in the unity that they had, hey, in finally getting a victory in the game. It's almost like, dare I mention, the Browns. There's great joy, and in a lot of the people, you know, we look around, we're, hey, a lot of them are Browns fans, and we unify at that, and we say, man, they're actually doing well, and there's joy, and there's excitement, uh, because, hey, they're, they're, we're looking at, at something, that they're finally moving. They're not behind. And, uh, and man, that brings joy. There's a little bit of unity there. And there is joy in working together. And so as we look at this unity that brings joy, look with me at verse number 2. He says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. And I would call that the direction. Uh, when you're working together towards the same goal, towards the same end, towards the same thing, there's great joy in that. And when the past several Wednesday nights, our, uh, we have a, a cleaning crew that usually comes and and they're, they're just people who uh, volunteer their time, and, and we certainly appreciate the work they, they do. They've done a phenomenal job over the years, and, and for the past month or so, they've just been, uh, it's been difficult. There's been a lot of sickness, and so uh, last couple of Wednesday nights, the whole, uh, several people of the church have kind of volunteered and pitched in, and Wednesday night after church, uh, we just kind of start, you know, cleaning, and, and, uh, and, and you know, it's, it's really kind of a joyous atmosphere to see all the people working, and somebody said uh, they were vacuuming and they got all done. And they said, well, is, that, is that all I do? Yeah, that's all you do. It's, we divide it all up and, and everyone takes a little chunk here and there and it gets all done and everything's all taken care of. But there's a joy because everyone's working towards the same goal of getting the church clean and saying, hey, I've got my part. I've got my, mine all done and we take care of it. And everyone works together and there's that joyous spirit of people laboring together. And listen, when we labor together and we're of the same mind and we're, we're going the same direction, we're, on, we're all shooting for the same goal, it's exciting to see it when we finally make that goal or when we finally accomplish that thing. There's, there's excitement saying, it's not what I did, but it's what we collectively have done together to arrive to this point that maybe one person could not do in and of themselves, but collectively we can arrive to that same point. There's the same mind. There's that direction. Not only in the physical idea and aspect of it, though we see it very clearly in the physical aspect, it is certainly a spiritual work as well when we're all working towards the same goal of seeing people saved and baptized and added unto the church. That's really our goal of our church. Uh, and it's not just to, uh, say, build up Anchor Baptist Church, though we, we would hope to see that. Our goal is to see souls saved, baptized, and added unto the church. That's why we support missions in Africa, missions in China, missions in South America, and missions all around the world. Because while we certainly want to see our church grow, we want to see the name of Christ exalted on a worldwide level. 
And when we work together for that, we can accomplish much good. And there's a lot that comes of that. Listen, sometimes when, uh, when, when you invite somebody to church and you're working on them, and, and man, they come to church, it's nice to have them come to church with you and you're grateful for that. But then when people come up to them and they say, hey, it's good to see you, I want to meet you, and, and kind of get to know them, and, and they're, they're showing a friendliness and they're showing a love of Christ, that's the church laboring together for the lost soul that may have come into the church. Or maybe you see a guy at the gas station and you give him a gospel track and maybe his co-worker goes to our church and they give him a, they say, well, man, that's from our church. Why don't you come to church with me? And that's laboring together. Maybe somebody else was praying for them and, and then seeing that person saved. That is the goal and the direction that we want to be headed. And so Paul says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. That would be the direction that we are going. Then he says there in verse number 2, having the same love. I put down that would be the devotion that we have. Our passion should be exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. That should be our love. Every one of us should look to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about John the Baptist a little bit in Sunday school this morning, for the adult Sunday school class at least. And and, um, John the Baptist said this. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. Listen, if we're going to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, and that was John the Baptist talking about Jesus, if we're going to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, then we, He has got to increase and we have got to decrease. We cannot be proclaiming ourselves. And that's kind of what Paul is saying. Listen, having the same love. Listen, every person, every person loves themselves to some degree or other. They do. But let me tell you this. Not everyone loves you to the same degree. Or me. That's just the fact of the matter. We don't unify around that. We unify and we gravitate towards our love towards the Lord Jesus Christ. I've said it sometimes, and I've illustrated it many times, that, uh, Brother Jeremy, can you come help me? We'll let the pulpit represent, go stand by that plant right there. We'll let this pulpit represent the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if Brother Jeremy's over there, and, and, uh, and I'm over here, and maybe we're polar opposites. I mean, we're far different. But as, as, I, as I grow closer to the Lord, that would represent the pulpit, and as Brother Jeremy grows closer to the Lord and I grow another step, and he grows another step, you see what's happening? There's a distance, and the more that we love the Lord, come a little closer, and the more that we gravitate toward Six foot. The more that we gravitate towards the Lord, I'm kidding, the closer we get to each other. And, and, and our love, thank you, brother, that's all I need. Our love, our devotion, has got to be the same. Jesus Christ said this, and... and John chapter 12 and verse 32, he said, If I be lifted up from the earth, uh, he said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Listen, we we have got to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. That will draw people. If everything revolves around a person or a personality or anything of that nature, some people may like that, some people may not. But I tell you what, if we exalt God, you can never go wrong. You can never make a mistake lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Our direction needs to be the same. Like-minded, our devotion needs to be the same. Unity and, and devotion, the same love. And look with me in verse number 2, the, second, the last part there. He says, being of one accord, of one mind. That one accord, I would say, is the disposition. When he goes on in verse number 3, he says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Now, strife is exertion or contention for superiority. Maybe somebody would say, well, I'm going to prove that person, and I'm prove that I'm better than that person, or something like that. That's, that's strife. If you had siblings growing up, you know what strife is. I mean, I had an older brother, and I had a younger brother, and, and, uh, and my younger brother uh, strived to be better than I did, and I strived to be better than my older brother, and, and you know, there's that strife going on because, hey, we want, uh, you know, we want the attention of mom and dad, except for when it's bad attention, then you don't want it. And there's that strife, and he's saying, listen, we shouldn't have that in the church. If we're all pointing towards the Lord Jesus Christ, and and we're all exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, our disposition, that would be our attitude, and the way we live and the way we act would be in one accord, and there would be an agreement in all of that, that we would honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse number 3, and he says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Vainglory would be lifting up yourself. And listen, that would actually vainglory is that it's defined as this exclusive vanity excited by one's own performances. That's what the de- definition was. Nothing in the church or ministry should be done to exalt oneself. That's prideful. And God hates pride. We know that. That's, uh, we've gone through that in the book of Proverbs. It talks about it. Matter of fact, that's what ruined Satan. Uh, he was lifted up with pride. You read Isaiah chapter number 14. He said, I will ascend above heaven. I will exalt my throne above God. I will be like the Most High. I will. And he goes on and one preacher said that Satan had eye problems. He was always talking about himself, and certainly he did. And so uh, Paul is exhorting us uh, to, the, to have joy by being unified in our direction, our devotion, and our disposition. Not only does he say that, but look with me in verse number 15, and, or verse number 14, rather, we'll grab the context of all this. In verse number 14, he says this, in Philippians 2.14, Do all things without murmuring and disputing. My dad made us say that verse a lot growing up. I don't know why. I didn't like it, but I didn't complain about it either. And I have to say it again. Verse 15. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. Look at what he says. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored, in vain. So we find that unity, uh, the having the same direction, devotion, and, and disposition uh, would, of course, provide uh, joy to, to God, to, to Paul, the Apostle Paul, it is, as he had wrote that letter, and then as well to the church. But I want you to notice as well that in verses 14 down through 16 that we read there, uh, that we are to be unwavering. 
unwavering. What's he talking about there? Well, we read those verses 14 and 15, and he says, hey, that we're not to be uh, murmuring and complaining. And then in verse 15, he goes on and he describes how we are to live. And then in verse 16, he gives what, what is going on, and he says, holding forth the word of life. What is the word of life? Well, we need to be unwavering in our witness that we would give unwavering in our witness. He says that in verse number 15 at the end. He says, Whom ye shine as lights in the world. I've often said this, and I'll say it again, that in 2020, even 2021, as a Christian in the workplace, listen, it, it should not be difficult to shine. If you have any kind of work ethic, which God exalts us to have a good work ethic, and to do our job, and to be responsible, and to do the best we can, and to, to, to you get eight hours worth of pay, that you should give eight hours worth of time. That's just a concept in the Word of God. Listen, the world doesn't have... You saw what, they, what, what Paul described the world as in a crooked and perverse world. The world doesn't want to do that. And they don't, they don't, you know better than I do because you work out there and you see the stuff that goes on and how people don't want to work and they don't want to labor and they don't do the best they can and they're not interested and, and there's all kinds of problems out there. And what Paul is saying is, listen, uh, don't, be, uh, don't be infected with the ideas from the world. Be unwavering in your witness. In other words, be steadfast in your witness. Be a good testimony everywhere you go. Maintain that good testimony. He's saying here in these verses, in verse number 15, uh, he's talking about being a witness. He said that ye be blameless. Don't be the cause of intentional evil or ill will towards other people that you would maintain a, a good testimony on the outside and that, that people wouldn't look at you and say, well, he's to blame. You remember that uh, uh, in the book of Daniel, when Daniel was exalted and he was high up and the king wanted to make him one of the highest in the land, uh, all the other guys, they got upset. They were worldly people and they got upset about Daniel and they said they looked for a reason to condemn Daniel. They couldn't find any. Isn't that a good testimony? Matter of fact, the only way that they could attack Daniel and, and cause him harm was to interfere with his relationship with God and make the king sign a degree that said, hey, if you pray to anyone but the king, that you're going to be thrown into the lion's den. And that's what they did. Daniel had a good testimony. And, and Paul is encouraging us. He's saying, listen, be unwavering in your witness. Be blameless. And then he goes on and he says, be harmless. Don't be harmful or mean or hateful towards other people. Have a sweet Christian spirit. You think about the life of Jesus. We were talking, I was looking at his life and, and for Sunday school and, and, and how he um, handled ministry even when he was tired. And it's not the first time I've come across that. And listen, sometimes when we get tired, uh, we get a little bit cranky and irritable. Just kind of the truth. But I don't want to excuse that. Because Paul's saying, hey, we need to be blameless. We need to be harmless. We need to maintain a good testimony, even when we don't feel like it, even when we're tired, even when we're uh, not, not in the mood for it. And we need to be careful that we are, are blameless and that we're harmless. And then he goes on and he says, the sons of God. We need to rep remember who we represent. Listen, you represent the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that they were called Christians 
uh, in Antioch, and it was kind of a mocking name, to be honest with you. He wasn't, uh, they weren't calling them Christians in an honorful way. They were calling them Christians because they acted like little Christs in this world. It was kind of to make fun of them. Listen, a Christian ought to have that kind of testimony. That people would look at him and say, there's something different about that guy. Oh, I remember a friend of mine, he had gotten saved. He was in the military and he, he got saved. And, and there was a guy, before he had gotten saved, he, there was this guy in the military and, and he would, uh, they would go drink and party all the time. And, and they constantly invited this guy, hey, why don't you go out with us uh, this Friday night? We're going out. We're going to have a great time. He's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to go. So one day he said, he said, you know, he said, I want to I wanna know why, why, why you don't go out with us. And the guy said, well, right now I'm working, but you know what? I tell you what, I got a break at such and such a time. Why don't you come down to my office and I'll tell you. So he went down there to his office and, and he said he sat down and he said, I'm just curious why, why you never go with us. And, and the guy said he reached out in his desk drawer and pulled out a Bible and put it on the desk. My friend said, oh, I should have known the guy's a Bible thumper. Of course, that's why he doesn't go out with us. That's why he doesn't carry on. That's why he's different. Listen, that's the kind of testimony we ought to have. That people would look at us and they'd say, well, they're different. And and we ought to be different because Jesus Christ should make a difference in our life. And if we're unwavering in our witness, listen, it will bring you great joy to have a clear conscience before God unwavering in our witness, not only in our witness, but look at what he says there in verse 16, holding forth the word of life. We we ought to be unwavering in our witness and unwavering also in the word. Listen, the word of God is the word of life. We get everything that we know from this book right here. It teaches us who Jesus Christ is. It teaches us who we are, by the way. Because some of us don't realize, we don't understand really who we are until we find out, well, God tells us, oh, we're not perfect. We are sinners. We do make mistakes. We have errors. But Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to pay for those sins and take care of those things. And the Bible teaches us who Jesus is and why He came and why He died on the cross and what we have to look forward to. And we need to be holding forth the words of life. We need to be unwavering on the Word of God. And listen, this book ought to to be part of our life, a central part of our life. Unwavering on the Word of God, it will bring you joy. We find that unity will bring you joy. We find unwavering in your witness and unwavering on the Word will bring you joy. The Bible says in Psalm 138, verse 2, He says, I will worship toward Thy holy temple and praise Thy name for Thy loving kindness and for Thy truth, for Thou hast magnified Thy Word above all Thy name. Listen, this book is important. We ought to spend time in it every single day reading the Word of God. It will give you joy. It will give you peace that passeth all understanding. It will feed your spirit. It will direct your mind towards God. You need to hold fast the Word of God. And look with me at verse 16. He says, holding forth the Word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul is, of course, writing this, and he's writing back to the, uh, the Christians there that are Philippians. And, and listen, what everybody wants to know in the end is that they've done something that has been worthwhile. 
Paul is telling those in, in Philippians, he's saying, listen, I, I want you to stay faithful. I want you to be unwavering in your faith, unwavering in your witness, unwavering in the Word. And I want you to continue forth. Why? So that I could have a great joy knowing that the time I spent there in Philippians was not in vain. That when Lydia, the seller of purple, got saved, it was not in vain. That when the Philippian jailer got saved, it was not in vain. And the work and the time that I had invested there was not in vain. And listen, even I believe God, that would honor God and that would glorify God and that would bring God joy to know, hey, that we're unwavering throughout our Christian life. Unity brings joy to God. Unwavering testimony will bring joy to God. One more, look with me at verse 18, right following after. Here's an interesting one. He says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. I want you to notice that not only the unity that he talked about in verses 2 and 3, and not only the unwavering in, in verses uh, 16 there and uh, 14 through 16, but I want you to notice the unselfishness in verses 17 and 18. He says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice. In other words, Paul is saying from a human standpoint, it did not look good for him as he sat there in jail. He was looking forward, and, and maybe he had consulted with his lawyer. I don't know. Maybe he didn't even have a lawyer. I don't know. But as he was looking at the prognosis, and he was looking at the outcome of all of this, and in Paul's mind, he was probably facing the death penalty. And he's saying, man, I'm going to die in this prison. He didn't have a whole lot of hope of getting out. And in writing this, he's saying, uh, listen, he's, he's saying here in verse number 17, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, I would go back and I would do it all again, even if I die in prison. Even if I suffer the death penalty. Why? Because I have no regrets about my life. He was unselfish in his service towards God. You look at Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, the, the, most of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul, and there's nobody that, that, that at least is described as to had suffered as much as the Apostle Paul had. But he says, listen, every stripe I received, every time I was thrown in prison, every opportunity that, that, uh, that, that I had, I would do every bit of it again. And I think maybe Paul might have said, perhaps I would even do a little bit more. I've never, never met a Christian, never met a Christian who said, man, I regret living the Christian life. I never have. I've met plenty that said, man, I regret living for myself. I regret my selfish decisions that I've made in the past. I regret the mistakes that I've made and I regret the bad things that I've done, but I, I'm happy about everything that I've done for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, listen, uh, that I would be unselfish and I would offer a sacrifice of myself 
for the Lord Jesus Christ and for His sake. Listen, there's joy and sacrifice for something bigger than yourself. Turn with me to 1 Peter. Save your spot there in Philippians chapter 2 as we'll be back there. But turn with me to 1 Peter. I found one of these verses popped out in 1 Peter. And, and then as I, I saw a couple more and I was like, man, that's incredible. Uh, Peter talks about this quite a bit. 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse number 19. And look what he wrote here in, in these, these verses. Peter, of course, the Apostle Peter writing. Look at what he said about, uh, about sacrificing for the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 19. The Bible says, For this is thankworthy... If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, it, this is acceptable with God. In other words, if you're suffering wrongfully, in other words, you didn't do anything wrong, you are serving God like Peter, like Paul, as they were preaching the gospel and they were, uh, they were not allowed to do that. They, they actually threw them into prison and he said, listen, if you suffer wrongfully because you're obeying God and you're going to continue to obey God uh, then, then, and you take it patiently, God is pleased with that. Now, if you do something foolish and you steal or you break the law in some form or fashion and and we're not talking about uh, obeying God rather than man, but if you just mess up your life and and then you you suffer for it, he said there's really no, no gratitude in that. That's you bearing your own fault. But he says it's thankworthy to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn ahead to chapter 3 and verse number 14. Look at what he says. 1 Peter 3.14 But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. He's talking about suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about paying a price for a sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ. Look ahead to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 13. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. And if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you on their part. He is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. In other words, he's saying, listen, if you suffer for the cause of Christ, happy are ye. There's joy in that. Listen, Paul is saying the same thing back here in Philippians. He's saying, uh, he's saying, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Now, it's unlikely and it's odd, perhaps, for it's maybe not unlikely, it's not the right word. Uh, it's not the world's philosophy that sacrifice would bring joy. That's not what the world thinks. Matter of fact, that's not what the world would promote. But it is what the Bible promotes. And we're not just talking sacrifice to sacrifice. Some people like to, uh, like to be the, uh, the woe is me and I'm suffering for Jesus. We're not talking about that. We're talking about somebody who's legitimately out there trying to do something for God and yet, uh, yet for this reason or that reason, 
there is um, there is something that comes down upon them. Perhaps it's it's law. Perhaps it's uh, persecution. Uh, maybe they can't advance in their job, and their their boss says, "Well, you know, I don't like you, so I'm not going to promote you in this job." And and it bothers me that you don't work Sundays and you don't work Wednesdays, and and so I'm not going to uh, work with you. And there's this and that, and so they would persecute you as a Christian, saying, "Hey, uh, we're not going to go forward with you." But it gets worse because many many as Paul, who were thrown in prison and who did die for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, shed their blood. They had great joy in doing so. And listen, we could go on and on about the sacrifice that's made, but I'm saying this, you cannot sacrifice and be selfish. They don't go together. They're two separate things. And so unselfishness is the example that, that Paul is putting forth as he said, And yea, if I be offered upon the sacrifice, but not just sacrifice, he says, and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Service. And it goes back to serving. Something of a greater cause than ourselves read this illustration as an ambitious farmer, unhappy about the yields of his crop, heard of a highly recommended new seed of corn. So he thought, man, I'm going to get me some of this. He bought some of the, of the, the seed, and, and, and it was so abundant, uh, it astonished his neighbors. His neighbors saw his crops, and they said, man, that is marvelous. I can't believe how well you did. And the farmer, uh, they, they asked him to sell some of the portion of that seed, and he said, no, I'm not doing that. And the farmer uh, was afraid that he would lose a, a profit uh, or a profitable con- competitive advantage. So he refused to sell his seeds to those other farmers. The second year, the new seed didn't produce as well, and, and, and it was a good crop, but it wasn't the same as that first year. And the third year uh, was still worse, and it, and it dawned on the farmer that his prized corn was being pollinated by an inferior grade of corn from his neighbor's fields. And if he had sold them that seed, they too would have had prosperous crops. But because of his selfishness and desire to get ahead of everyone else, listen, his own crop suffered and he was back on par with everyone else. Listen, when we, as John said, decrease, he increases. Hey, listen, the crops go up and the profit is higher and we're unselfish and God is glorified and we get joy in our service for the Lord Jesus Christ. Unselfish. Paul was unselfish. You look at the life of Paul. You look at how he lived. You look at the places he went. You look at the things that he suffered. Nobody's going to point their finger at Paul and say, well, you were selfish. No, he was, he was pretty unselfish. He was unwavering. Then we see that he admonishes the church in, Philippians, in Philippi, rather, and the Christians there to be unified. And those things will bring joy. Sometimes we think selfishness brings joy. Listen, selfishness truly does not bring joy. You, you, you can... If you haven't, 
No, I'm not even going to recommend you try it. But if you took a if you took a one and a half year old or a two year old, and you give them everything that you they want, you know what you're going to have? An unhappy brat who wants more and more and more. And when you tell him no, you know what's going to happen? But you better watch out. It's going to cause a real problem. You could do it this way. You can take them to grandma and grandpa's house, drop them off for a day. Grandma and grandpa doesn't tell them no. And then when you get him back, you know what happens. He's back under the rule of law again. And he hears the word no again. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa. But you know what? That ultimately, in the end, does bring happiness. It does bring joy. Well, it's not always easy, and it's, not, it's definitely not always fun. But I tell you what, it brings joy in the life of a Christian to not be selfish, to be unwavering in our faith, to be unified in our work for the Lord Jesus Christ. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Unity, unwavering in our witness, unwavering in the Word of God, and unselfish in our desires to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you'd help us to be joyful. Oh God, I know we've got plenty to complain about. Who doesn't? But God, in all reality, as Christians, we have so much to be thankful for, so much to be joyous about. And here, Paul, a man in prison, writes a letter to encourage us to be joyful in unity. Joyful, unwavering in our faith and unwavering in our witness and in, our, in the Word of God. And then unselfish in the way we'd guide our life. God, what wise advice from your Word that we find. God, help us as Christians follow your word, to heed your word, and to live your word. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. Might sound like some of the oddest advice to find joy. God left it in his word. God put it in his word for us to find joy in our life. But these three things. I hope you can find joy this evening. What a joy to serve the Lord. What a joy to be a Christian. like heaven my heart overflows the longer I serve him the sweeter he grows how sweet God is to us what a blessing to be saved what a blessing to serve the Lord thank you we'll bring our invitation to a close what a good song